There are some things in life you can't do alone. Like, have a party. Wrestle. Have a sack race. Step aside, fools, I got this. Okay, I have it. Yeah, yeah. Play Marco Polo. Marco. Fish out of water. Ride a teeter-totter. Ah. <laughs> oh. Get engaged. Will you marry me? Yes! Move a heavy, awkward piece of furniture. Finger. Too slow, too slow, too slow. Or water ski. Something should not be attempted without the help of others. Your spiritual journey is one of them. When it comes to that, we're definitely better together. Technical? That better? Sorry about that, technical difficulties. Welcome to um, a new topic that we're going to be talking about here today in the well. What we're going to be talking about today is the word which you will hear a lot at this church and a word that you'll hear a lot at a lot of other churches. We're going to talk about building community. And I want to start off by telling you that community is a big deal to me. And it's a big deal to us here in the church. And it's such a big deal that we actually built it into our core values. Here at this church, we have 10 core values. And one of them, as you see right there up on the screen, is we believe very much in authentic community. And this is what we, what we believe. We believe that God created the church to fulfill our relational needs in addition to our spiritual needs. We reject superficiality in relationship with one another just as we reject superficiality in our relationship with God. What I want to talk about here today and next week is something called community. And I want us to define what it is and figure out how it's supposed to look. Here's the thing about the word community. If I asked you to define it, you would probably define it by what it is not, not by what it is. In other words, it's easy to say when community does not exist and when it's not functioning in a proper way or in a biblical way or in a Christian way, but it's much more difficult to define what it is. I believe that this topic is a very important one because if you go back to the early church, I'll try this one. Y'all hear me? Test? Hear me? Good. Thank you, Peter. Big hand for Peter. Big hand for that guy. The audio engineer of our church right here is Mr. Peter. Thank you very much. <laughs> I believe if you go back to the very early days of the church in the book of Acts chapter 2, you will see that they were very, very big on this concept of community. Acts chapter 2 verse 46, very important verse here for us in this church. 
It says that so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. The early church had two places or two ways that they met together. They met in the temple and then they met from house to house. Temple, house to house. In the New Testament, the area that we live in, our modern day temple is a church where we meet on a regular basis every week on Sunday. We get together. We do this thing every Sunday. That's our meeting in the temple for our communal worship, our get together in a, as the body of Christ. But it doesn't just end after we leave and leave the temple courts. They also met from house to house. That's why we do something here at STSA called life groups. I'm going to talk more about what life groups are as we go along here. But life groups are the fulfillment of the house-to-house -house portion of the apostolic community. Life groups are the fulfillment of the house-to-house -house portion. We need our temple court worship, and then we need our house-to-house, -house, a chance to get together outside of the, the church context where we meet on Sundays. And the reason why is because over and over, you've heard me say it, you heard the scripture say it, we as a church are not a building, we are a body. And because we are a body, which is united together through the body and blood of Christ, that's our unity. It's not, this is not our unity. This is not, it's not that we're friends. That's a country club. It's not that we're a team. That's a team, okay, a football team, a baseball team. That, that's, that's, that's nothing. But we are, is each of us is united with Christ. And if I'm united with Christ and you're united with Christ and he's united with Christ and he's united with Christ, and guess what? By default, if A equals B, and B equals C, then A equals C. Y'all remember that, right? What's that? The law of transitive property, right? Transitive math majors, is that right? A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? Oh, y'all look at me like I, you've never been to algebra class in your life. <laughs> I'll stick with addition for the future, okay? Don't worry. Try to raise the level. <laughs> Bottom line is, is that we need to be in community with one another. If we are not in community with one another, then our unity with Christ isn't there. But to be unified with Christ means that we have to have community with one another. But the key is understanding what does that mean and what is that supposed to look like. It doesn't mean that we're all best friends. It doesn't mean that we all get together every Sunday and go out to eat. It doesn't mean that we all watch football games together. God forbid, okay? It doesn't mean that. What it means is something much deeper than that, which I'd like to get into this week and next week. And the reason why I'm doing it right now is because we're preparing for our fall session of life groups. Okay, so that's why I felt it was important that we kind of understand why it is that we do what we do. Community in the church. Easy or hard? Building community. Easy or hard? Who thinks it's easy? Anyone who says it's easy is not living in community. Anyone who says that, that relationship building, deep Relationship building is easy as someone who is not investing at all in deep relationships whatsoever. Let me tell you, community is the hardest thing by far to build into the church, to build into any group. It, the church would be much easier for me if I said, okay, the church is, you come here, you sit in your chair, you listen to me, and then you go home. That's easy. Teaching is easy. Sitting there and taking notes, that's easy. Even doing community service and doing projects together, that's easy. Where it gets hard is going into depth in our relationship with one another. Because agree with me that it's very easy for me to say hi to each and every single one of you here every Sunday. And hi, how are you? What's your name? Where you work? Hi, how are you? What's your name? What's your work? Hi, what's your name and the work? Very easy. You know when it starts to get difficult? Is when you try to go deeper. 
And community is all about depth, not about breadth. Like, breadth is important, okay, that we're not isolated, but depth is equally as important, if not more so. Why is it that community is so hard? Because you are a human being, and I am a human being. You have sins, I have sins. You have arrogance, I have arrogance. You have pride, I have pride. You have selfishness, you have all those things, and so do I. So you put us together and say, go in depth is not an easy thing to do. That's why what we usually do when there is relationships, what we usually do is we get to a certain point in a relationship, surface, and then we hit that point of, hey, for us to go any deeper, either I'm going to have to change or you're going to have to change. Either I'm going to have to be accommodating or you're going to have to be accommodating. Either I'm going to have to bend over a little bit or you're going to have to bend over. So what do we do? We move on to the next relationship. And then when that gets hard, you move on to the next one. And if you look back, do some statistical analysis on your own life, how many best friends have you had over the last 10 years? How many BFFs have you had over the past 10 years of your life, five years of your life? And what you'll see most often, especially the, the culture we live in, is it's very easy to go superficial, but once the going gets tough, the tough get out. And we need to change that. Because like we said in our core value, we reject superficiality. The goal of this church is not just to have superficial relationships. I would rather have zero relationships than superficial relationships. All right? And that's why we need to figure out how to go deeper. So what we are going to talk about today, we're going to take this in two parts, today and next week. Today we're going to look at the, like the negative side, the relationship busters. I'm going to talk about three relationship busters, which I believe that 99% of relationships, and I'm not talking about boy-girl relationships. It could be. like a, It's all relationships. Okay? I'm talking about the idea of community in the church, but it really affects your family relationships. It affects your boy-girl relationships. It affects your relationships at work. Relationship busters, you take these three things, and you can boil 99% of relationship problems down to these three things. And we're going to talk about it today. And then hopefully with each one, we'll figure out a solution of what it is we can do about it. Why we have to start with the negative side? Because before I'm going to fill the tub with the water, I want to make sure there's no leak in the bottom. Some of us, if I say, join a life group, invest in community, try to like, you know, uh, 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 invest in your relationships. Some of us, we have holes in the bottom that no matter how much we invest, as long as these three relationship busters are ingrained inside of us, we will invest and we will destroy. And then we will just destroy more and more relationships in our lives all around us because of these three relationship busters. Last thing I'll say before I get into it. The early church, especially if you study the book of Acts, church, was a very, very diverse group of people, very diverse, very different, who all were in unit community together through their bond with Christ. They were diverse. They were different. They came from different backgrounds, different social classes, different education. But that never stopped them from having community. So remove from your mind any idea of we can't get along because we're different, okay? And we're going to put in our mind that if we can address these three relationship busters, then God will help us to go deeper in our relationships. What's the first relationship buster? What is the number one thing that kills relationship after relationship after relationship? It is selfishness. Selfishness is the number one relationship buster, number one problem in relationships today 
And all of us have this, all of us have this selfishness to some degree. Easy thing to say is, I'm not a selfish person. That's the easy thing to say. I'm not a selfish person. Believe me, I met hundreds and thousands of people maybe over the course of my life. I never met one person that said, I'm selfish. I met many people who say, he's selfish. She's selfish. They're selfish. No one thinks they're selfish, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You're not any more selfish than me. None of us are selfish. But that doesn't mean that we don't act selfishly. And that doesn't mean that selfishness doesn't creep in at times in our thoughts and our demeanors and our interactions with one another. The Bible says it this way in James chapter 4, verse 1. He said, let me ask you a question. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Where do wars come from? Why this country is fighting this country? Why this one's worrying about uh, 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 this country's doing? Why, why, why are there wars? Easy. Because one guy stood up and said, I want this. Another guy said, I'm not going to let you take this. This is mine. And somewhere along the way, I'm not, we don't know who's right and who's wrong. I'm not saying it that way. But wars come from selfishness. Fights come from selfishness. Disagreements oftentimes come from selfishness. I want this this way, my way, and someone else is standing in front of that. Now, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Selfishness rarely, rarely, rarely rears its head at the beginning of any relationship. Rarely does selfishness surface at the beginning of the relationship. Right, ladies? At the beginning it is, oh, here, honey, after you, I insist. At the beginning. Doesn't always stick around, does it? Right, gentlemen? At the beginning it is, what's your favorite food that I can make for you? <laughs> At the beginning. Agree with me, we usually invest a lot more effort into building versus maintaining relationships. Agree or disagree? We invest a lot more into building relationships than we do in investing and developing relationships. Make y'all laugh. I read a funny thing online. The five stages of a cold in marriage. The five stages of a cold in marriage. Year one, two people are married. Year one, stage one of the cold is this. Baby, I'm worried about your sniffles. Would you like me to call the paramedics so they can come and investigate you to make sure you're okay? That's year one. Year two, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. Shall I arrange for a doctor to make a house visit? That's year two. Year three, you look like you got a fever. Why don't you swing on by CVS and pick up some Tylenol on your way home from work? Year four, be sensible. Make sure you sleep early tonight after you put the kids, the kids to sleep and clean the house. Make sure you try to get some rest early tonight because you don't look good. Year five, you have to cough so loud I'm trying to watch TV. <laughs> Just so that the guys don't think I'm picking on the guys. Okay? So the ladies don't think I'm picking on the guys. One guy said, he said amen to this whole concept and said exactly. It's not the same at the beginning of the marriage as it is later on. The guy said, in the first year of marriage, it was my wife that got the slippers and the dog barked. In the first year, it was the wife that got the slippers and it was the dog that barked. 
and then things change in year two. <laughs> That's none of the ladies. All the guys are like, yes. The ladies are like, all right, I'm back. <laughs> Bottom line is, when it comes to marriage and all relationships, is that we invest more. See, in the beginning, the dog barked, <laughs> and the wife got the slippers. And then year two, okay, the roles switched. The dog got the slippers, and the wife, yes. <laughs> Do I need to draw a picture? <laughs> I'll bring a visual aid. <laughs> Bottom line is, it's not easy to tell a joke, by the way. Okay, They say that's the hardest thing, is to tell a joke in front of an audience. Okay, It ain't easy, but I try. Okay. Bottom line is, is none of us would consider ourselves selfish, but the truth of the matter is, is that we invest a lot more at the beginning of relationships to make sure we don't act selfish. But that quickly goes away. Why does it go away? Because we are selfish by our nature. Not because you're bad or he's bad or she's bad. Don't say, there's no one in this room that's more selfish than anybody else. There's no one. It just manifests itself in different areas. Some people control it better after work than others. Some people control it better when they're hungry than others. Every one of us is the same, but some people control it better than others. What are we going to do about it? I am a big believer that you cannot stop a bad, that you can start a good. Like I always say, don't try to remove sin, try to replace sin. Don't try to remove a habit, try to replace a habit. So don't try to be not selfish. Instead, try to be selfless. You understand what I'm saying? Don't say my goal is to be not selfish. Say, my goal is today, here's this person in front of me, and I'm selfish in front of them. I'm going to go into this relationship, and I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to find a positive thing that I can do to be selfless with my boss, with my wife, with my kids, with my neighbor, with the guy sitting next to me that I don't even know his name. Because selflessness builds relationships up. What's selflessness? Selfless, as it implies, is myself is less Myself is less. So yourself now becomes more. Me and you are 50-50. I want to make myself less. Okay, selfish is when myself is more. But I want to make myself less. A little more of me means a little more of you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. St. Paul says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I promise you this. And I promise you, and you take me up on this challenge, and you try, and you let me know. You want to take a relationship and change the trajectory of that relationship. Change the dynamic 180 degrees. Go in with this attitude. Go in Philippians 2.4 and say, I'm going into this relationship, and I will be completely selfless. Today, you got... I don't want to, it's not just marriage, okay, but this example works good at marriage. You know when there's like the friction in the marriage, okay, the friction, which is, you don't even know what you're fighting about, there's friction, but you know you're fighting, but you know what it's about, but you know it's about something really important. Go into that, and instead of each one going with their dukes up, go into that today, go home from work, or from church, and be selfless, and do an act of selflessness. You know what's going to happen? You come to me, and I'm ready to duke, and you come to me, Selfless? You change the whole dynamic. You change the whole dynamic. Because I'm waiting for you to come home and say this, and I'm going to 
You come in, hands down, serve it mentality, selfless mentality, you changed everything in the relationship. How many grudges that we've had since freshman year of high school with that girl in Sunday school class or whatever it may be, if you go in with a selfless attitude the next time you see that person, I guarantee you, you'll see different results in that relationship. This is why being in community, again, I, as I said, we are big believers in community here, and I believe that if you are not actively participating in community in the body of Christ, you are disobeying the command of God. And you say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, don't go that far. I like to come to church, pray, and I like to leave. That's that bad. That's not bad. That's a good thing. I don't know where in our, in our history that turned into a good thing, that we don't care about anybody else turned into a good thing. You know what that is? That's a selfish thing. The person who says, I just want to go to church. I want to talk to anybody else. I want everyone to leave me alone. That's a selfish attitude. That's a person who's saying that I don't want to deal with people that are a nuisance to me. I don't want to deal with people that may uh, inconvenience my schedule. Just everybody leave me alone. And somehow we made this ultra spiritual. The spiritual people are the ones who hate everyone else's guts. We made this spiritual. I don't know how. That ain't spiritual. That's disobeying the command of God. That's what made the early church the early church. That's what made them different. Is that people will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Not by the uh, quickly as you can leave church after, you, after the service finishes. That doesn't make you strong believers. That makes you selfish. That you don't want to bend over backwards or be inconvenienced for anyone else. That deals, that connects us to the second relationship buster, and that is pride. Pride is the second relationship buster. Why you need community to be obeying God's command because so many commandments in the Bible deal with our relationship with one another, love one another, turn the cheek with one another, support one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, all these one another's. You cannot fulfill them if your attitude is, I don't want to deal with one another. If you're a person who refuses community, you have to check the level of pride. And again, pride is like selfishness. No one's going to say it. No one's going to say, I'm proud. No one's going to say it. But let me give you some ways that pride manifests itself. Critical. People who are proud tend to be overly critical. Tend to see everyone else as, like I said, as a nuisance. And look down upon them and can find fault in every single person and every single group that exists. Comparison. People who have pride oftentimes compare everything they have with one another. And that's why they struggle to be in community and life groups because they get there and they see, they compare that guy's house with my house, that guy's job with my job, that guy's kids with my kids. That guy said this, I won't say this. He's smart, I'm not smart. This comparison, pride. Stubbornness. Y'all know what stubbornness is, right? Okay? Nobody likes a stubborn person. Nobody likes that person who can't admit they're wrong who sees themselves as always right. person who sees themselves always right cannot work in community. Because in community, like I said in the early church, there was different opinions about different things, and there was variety and diversity. And the person who has pride says, no, I, I don't like it. My way is the only way. Can't live in community. 
And then the opposite, kind of that, the other end of the spectrum, is overly sensitive people. Overly sensitive comes from pride. Comes from big ego that's very sensitive. And anyone who just sneezes on their ego, they become offended by it. The main problem with pride, like I said with these four, you would have very rarely identified yourself as a proud person or an arrogant person. Pride is the, is the thing that everyone else can see, but you can't. That's why the Bible says this in Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is dangerous because the only person that can't see their pride is the person who has it. And everyone else around them can see it and can see them headed for a fall as far as relationship, but they're the only ones who can't see it. I wanted to come up with an example of pride, especially when someone can't see it. So, of course, there's many good examples in the Bible, stories of the saints, many, many good examples. But you all ever seen the movie What About Bob? That's a great movie, isn't it? So I got a clip from What About Bob. Now, first thing you have to excuse, it took me a long time to find this clip online. The quality is kind of poor, but I felt like the movie is so funny and the scene is a great scene that it's worth it. So you have to excuse the, excuse the poor quality. Let me set up the scene for those who haven't seen this classic of American cinema. It's basically about a man whose name is Bob, who is kind of an unwanted house guest with uh, the Paul Newman guy. Okay, And they have this family, and then the, everyone loves Bob except the, the husband. He hates Bob's guts. And Bob is now doing, is like playing with the kid's son and trying to teach him how to dive in the water. Y'all remember this scene? All right, the man had been trying to teach his son how to dive in the water, but the kid hated the man's guts. Here comes Bob with the scene. Y'all watch the story. Let's uh, get the lights. Yeah. Lean, lean, lean. Wait, I can't see what you're doing. What are you, will you get in front? Be right, careful. Hold it, hold it, hold Come it. On. Wait, wait. Come on. Okay. Come on. Now hold my shirt. I'll show you what I got it. Okay. All right. And bend my knees. Bend your knees. Bend Arms out straight. Arms out. Stiff as a board. Honey, come here, look. I don't want to have to see this. No, please. One. No. Two. Don't do it, please. Everybody, I'm not wrong often, but when I am, I admit it. I mean it. I'd like you all to accept my apology. Well, what about Bob? What about Bob? Yeah, Dad. Don't you think you should apologize to Bob? I will not apologize to Bob. Why not? All right. Apologize to Bob.
and now I'd like him to go. You know that that guy who cannot see his own fault ends up destroying his relationship with the rest of the family. Okay, because that, but I mean, it ends happy, don't worry. It's a nice movie, okay, but the bottom line is, is that this guy is the only one who couldn't see his mistake, and that's how pride works. And I promise you, there are relationships every day where someone, I will not say sorry, and they're the ones who say sorry, and I will not, and I will not, and everyone around him can see, man, it's only your pride and your stubbornness and your ego that's causing you to do it. And unfortunately, pride always leads to a fall. Solution? Again, don't try to be not proud. Try to be humble. Humility is what builds up relationships. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 talks about the picture of community and how it should look like in our relationships. It says, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. That's an important word there, harmony. You want to, may want to circle that one. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. I love this verse because it talks about harmony is what God wants. Music majors, help me out here on this one. What does harmony mean? Harmony does not mean unison, right? If you have a symphony and they are playing in harmony, it does not mean that everyone is playing the exact same instrument, the exact same note at the exact same time. That is not what it means. Harmony does not mean unison. What it means is all of these, means what? Is it actually a specific word? I was just going to say all these different notes working together. Is there a musical word for that? Harmony, right? Harmony is what that means, okay? Harmony is beautiful. If everyone was playing the same instrument at the same note at the same time, it'd be boring. And that's not what community is all about. Community is not about get into a life group, find eight people who are exactly like you, and just sit there and have a little party for how great your personality type is. That's not what it is. You don't join a life group and say, well, that person's different than me, so I can't be friends with him. No, that's actually exactly why you need to be with him. Because God needs to teach you how to love people who are not like you. God needs to teach you how to accept people who don't think the way you do. Like I always say, just because we don't see eye to eye doesn't mean we can't walk hand in hand. God needs to teach us that, and life groups is how he teaches us that. If you just stay isolated in your room all day, you watch your TV, you play your video games, you talk online with who you want to talk with, and you never push yourself out of your comfort zone, out of that little bubble, you will never understand the concept of living together in harmony. You'll never be able to experience what the early church did. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, tax collectors and Pharisees, all together in one body, united together. That's what harmony is all about. And that's what the church is supposed to be. So... I'm going to give you a challenge here with this one. You want to be humble and you want to learn humility? I'm going to give you different things you can do. Number one, join a life group. Just join. All I'm saying is join. That's step one. Put in your mind, okay, coming this week, you will get an email, okay, in the middle of this week about the fall season of life groups and the different groups that are available and the different options that you have, and you'll see all that stuff in you can see, you know, what works with your schedule, can eat, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I'm saying put in your mind that I am going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to be part of a group. And then number two, when I join that group, I'm going there, watch this, to learn not to teach. I'm going there to learn not to teach. And you say, well, that guy can't teach me nothing. But not people teach me nothing. 
That's humility. That's what we're talking about. Humility is going to go in and say, this person who I don't like, I don't know and I don't like. I don't know them, but if I knew them, I don't think I would like them. This person. I need to learn from this person. That ain't easy to do. The guy in the video couldn't have done that. That's what humility is. I need to learn from that person. They're different than me. They think different. They vote differently than me. I can learn even from that guy who votes differently than me. Third level. Next, you're going to go. You're going to join. You're going to learn. And then if you really, really, really want to practice humility, there's two more to go. You are going to have another person in that group, and you are going to say to this person, I want you to hold me accountable. About whatever we talk about in the group, I want you to hold me accountable. I want you specifically, you help me. Did you know that me? This is, should, I'll say this, and I don't think it's a big deal. Okay, and, and I hope that you don't think it's a big deal, but I know some people think this is a big deal. Me as a priest, I have an accountability partner who's not a priest. He's a normal person. Well, he's a great guy, but I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an average Joe. And I hope that you don't think that's a big deal. Okay, because it's not a big deal because we all need accountability partners. We all need someone who can help us. On the outside, you'd say, no, 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 that guy should learn from Father Anthony. And, of course, I understand why you would say that. Okay? Like, it's not that hard to believe. But the truth of the matter is, is that I learn, I learn from him as well. Okay, and that he learned from me and I learned, like, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Do you have anyone in your life that you say, I want you to teach me? Level four, be really humble. Be like, the most humble. Join a life group, participate actively in that life group, host a life group. Yeah, host a life group means allowing that person that I don't know, that I don't like, and if I didn't know, I don't think I'd like, and I can't learn from them, allowing them into my house and sending them an email, letting them know what time the meeting is this week and saying and opening up and saying, you know what? I am going to invest my life and my home into the lives of others. What does it mean to host a life group? It doesn't mean you need to teach anything. That you need to be a scholar or a degree, none of that stuff. We give you all the tools. All it means is that you're willing to open your home and help to facilitate a group. And the people who have done this in the past, who have hosted groups, it's my hope and my dream that we wouldn't say like, okay, these guys, these are the life group hosts, and every year that these are the ones. No, it's not like that. Then everyone takes turns, all right? And the people who have done it in the past have had gr great experiences hosting groups and getting to know people and investing into the lives of others and I want to challenge some people who said, I can never be a life group host. I want to challenge you that, no, why can't you be a life group host? And why can't you take that step out of your comfort zone and invest in the lives of others? We're going to make it real easy. Like I said, you say, I'm willing. Okay, you go to that back table today, the connection table in the back. You go say, I'm willing to host a group. And we'll get you all taken care of. We'll give you everything that you need. And it won't take much time from you. Okay, all it takes is a willingness to step out of that comfort zone. First relationship buster we said was selfishness. Cure for that is selflessness. Second buster we said is pride. Cure for that is humility. Third one is the most hidden of all. And third is the one that I promise you 100% every single one of us is dealing with today. And I said us. Every one of us is dealing with today, but very few of us recognize. Insecurity. Now we hit in how close to hope. Don't talk to me about insecurity. Don't talk to me about insecurity. Talk to her about insecurity. Talk to him about insecurity. Don't talk to me about it. I 
promise you, and several people know I've been talking about this for a while now, I don't think there's a person in the world today that isn't insecure in some way. Just some people don't know it. Insecurity is a hidden killer in your life, and it will kill the closest relationships to you. And it will stop you from having any depth and any intimacy in your relationships in life. You know what insecurity is? You want to know where your insecurity is? Ask yourself or look back and examine your life and see the behaviors that have no explanation for them. Insecurity. Why did I lose my cool like that? It's not like me. Why did that offend me so much? Why, why, why did I explode when we were playing basketball for no reason whatsoever? Why does it bother me so much when that guy wins? Insecurity, 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 insecurity. Every one of us is insecure about something, including me. I'm the first one. Every one of us is afraid of something. Rejection is a big one. Suffering. Isolation. Inferiority. It's a big one for guys especially. We're insecure that we're never good enough, that we're always subpar. All of us are insecure about something. The difference is some people know it, and some people address it, and other people just allow it to kill relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. There's a story in the Bible of a guy named Rehoboam. Y'all know Rehoboam? Rehoboam was a very instrumental man in the history of God's people Israel, but not for a good reason. Rehoboam is what caused the divide in God's people. Y'all know when God created his nation, Israel, he has 12 tribes, and they were one, tri they were one people and 12 tribes. First king they had was Saul. Everything was good. David, everything was great. Solomon, everything was great, 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 great. After Solomon, his son Rehoboam was the next king over Israel. And Rehoboam, at the beginning of his term or kingness, okay, was faced with a very big decision. Basically, so he's coming after Solomon. That's some big shoes to fill from Solomon. Solomon was the best. So Rehoboam steps into power, and the people come to him. Rehoboam is a young guy, and they say to him, King Rehoboam, we want you. We like you. You seem like a good guy. Listen to our requests. This is what the people are saying. We want you to go easy on us with the taxes and go easy on us with some of these rules. Not in a bad way. They were saying, like, we, we need like you to be like one of us. And Rehoboam said, okay, let me think about it and get back to you in three days. He called in his elderly, like the elders, as counsel. And the, and the elders said, look, best thing for you, these people will serve you if you, like, go down to their level. Like, be one of them, listen to their requests, be one of the people, and they will totally support you. And they'll serve you. And they'll be loyal to you. Then he called his young friends in. And his young friends, like his age, said, no, 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 no. Don't listen to their requests. This is what the Bible says. This is what the old guy said. If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, and they will be your servants forever. That's the elders who said, be one of the people. They'll serve you forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? 
How should we answer this? People have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which, our fa which your father put on us. Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our, our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them. This is their advice. My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. It's an expression which they, at the time, which basically meant, in the same way of saying, like, my father ruled with, like, a flip-flop. I'm going to get an iron uh, steel-tipped boot to rule over you guys. My father was easy on you. I'm going to go even harder on you. His, their, their strategy was intimidation, okay? Be very tough with the people. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I shall chastise you with scourges. What was Rehoboam trying to do? What was he trying to do? Be the man. All right? And he was insecure about his status. He says, no, wait, I'm young, and they're going to revolt against me. I'm not as smart as Solomon, and I'm not as strong as him, and I'm not as good looking as him, and people are not going to like me as much. They're going to revolt against me. I'm going to lose everything. So you know what? I'm going to be even stronger, and I'm going to be even tougher on you. But, of course, he's doing it out of fear and insecurity. Bottom line, without reading all the details, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. The people said, okay, you want, be a, you want to be a tough man? We're splitting off. And that was the division in the history of Israel, where it became the northern kingdom, Israel, which was led by Jeroboam, and then the southern kingdom, Rehoboam, and the two started fighting with each other, and there was division ever since then. Why? Insecurity. Insecurity. I'm saying this now. I'm not, this isn't from the Bible. This isn't from notes. This is from my heart. Insecurity will ruin your life if you don't do something about it. Insecurity will ruin your life and ruin your relationships if you don't do something about it. In the Bible, the first example of insecurity was go way back to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and God gave them everything was good and everything was good and everything was good and they had perfect fellowship with him and perfect fellowship with one another and then they committed a sin and as soon as they committed a sin it says in Genesis 3:10, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself Adam committed the sin and then his insecurity made him to hide himself what does this mean? It means that he didn't want God to see him because he knew he was, he, was, he was bad. And we today, like Adam was insecure about his physical body. I don't think that's a problem in the culture that we live in today. People aren't afraid to expose their physical bodies today. People are exposed, afraid to expose their emotions today. And we have this insecurity about I'm not going to be good enough or I'm not, people aren't going to like the real me or if they find me, they'll reject me. So we hide, just like Adam did. He was hiding from God, and it's ridiculous to think of hiding from God. We hide all the time because we don't want people to discover the real selves that's inside because we are scared what they will discover. But here's the problem that happens in life. Intimacy and vulnerability are connected, and you will never have one to exceed the other, meaning you will never have more intimacy than you have vulnerability in a relationship. So if you have vulnerability very low and you do not expose yourself in any way, then you should expect that the depth and intimacy in that relationship will also be low. Agree or disagree. The level of depth in a relationship 
is based on the level of vulnerability. Agree or disagree with me? The level of depth you're going to have in your life group. We can sit there and we can get together for 52 weeks of the year for this life group. And we can meet every single Sunday. And we talk about sports and nothing deeper. Surface. You know when life groups start to get deep and relationships start to get deep, one guy opens up. One guy says, I got this problem. All of a sudden, you know what happens? It becomes trickle down. I was in a life group this past summer, which was, by the way, the best life group ever. Okay, We had the best group ever, and it was great because it was exactly like I said. It was people who I didn't have necessarily have a relationship with before other than a superficial one. And it was diversities of people coming from different places, different age groups, different, all kinds of different demographics, people living all over the place. And we came together, and there's one person in particular, I won't mention the person's name, who was very good at this vulnerability thing. And boom, 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 you just saw people drop like flies. Boom, 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 boom. One person opened, and it's, it becomes contagious when one person opens up and becomes vulnerable. Problem is, if you're insecure, you won't open. And if you don't open, you'll never have depth. So you will be more insecure. Insecure, you won't open. Don't open, never have depth. No depth, more insecure. Becomes a, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that would just validate your insecurity. See, see, it's good I didn't open up because the, this person really wasn't there for me. Well, maybe that person, maybe there would have been there if there had been vulnerability. Okay? This is why, you know, like the, the statistics about people who live together before marriage. Living together before marriage can never, ever, ever work. It can't work. Because what happens is people say, okay, let's try to see if we can commit. The problem is if there's no commitment, there will be no vulnerability. And if there's no vulnerability, there will never be depth. And then you break it and say, thank God we didn't get married because that person wasn't there. It wasn't that person wasn't there. It's your insecurity stopped you from being vulnerable. So the relationship naturally fizzled away. What's the solution for insecurity? Let's, let, let, what's the solution? All of us have it. I have it, you have it. What's the solution? Is there a solution? There's only one solution. What's the only thing that solves fear? Love. First John chapter 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love. Perfect love cast out fear. The only solution to the dungeon of insecurity is finding your security, finding your value, finding your significance in the love of God, which is endless and which is infinite. I told you all about my insecure. I told you I have insecurity. And it's something I've shared before. I got no problem to share it again. Is that one of the areas that I'm insecure in is exactly this. Stand up here, preach the word of God. And if you snicker inside, you're welcome to come up here and do it for yourself. You think it's easy to do? I don't care. I've been, I've been doing this now for 12 years, and I'm still just as insecure today as I was 12 years ago. And because of my insecurity, I oftentimes found myself like, you know, fishing for compliments. Hey, how was church today for you? No, did you, uh, you know, uh, yeah, fishing for compliments. Hey, Marianne, sweetheart, 
Church was great today, uh, wasn't it? What'd you think? Uh, anyone who tries to find, the only solution for this, anyone who tries to find their security in people, in compliments, in the internet, and the wonderful opinions that people share online, on Twitter, and on Facebook, if I'm looking to any of those things to find security, I'm going to be a mess. And when you see me a mess, you know that the insecurity is up and the love is down. But you know when the insecurity is down and the love is up? Is what I say to myself every time before I come up here. I try to say it sincerely. I get myself nervous. And I get myself all, and I'm uh, faking illness and break my, whatever. I will quit. And I say, hey, God. I don't say, hey, God, like that. I mean, like, God. Will you love me anymore if I do a good job? He says, Okay, will you love me any less if I do a bad job? He says, nope. <sighs> now I'm ready to preach. My security, I must know the love of God. And my security must be based in God's love for me. That ain't an easy thing. And I'm not just trying to say it like one sentence like, hey, just get your security from God. It's not an easy thing. And that's a lifelong journey. But we need to know that there is hope for our insecurity and there is solution for our fears and it comes only when we stand on the rock when our anchor when in the midst of this world that's a sea and it's people's opinions and people's stuff and all kinds of stuff is flying around and my husband said this to me and I feel insecure my wife did this to me so I feel like I'm nothing and this person doesn't want it and I'm rejected here and all that kinds of swirling winds and tornadoes man I need to find me an anchor I need to hold on to that anchor that anchor is the love of God and anything else you're holding on to, you're holding on to the opinions, I'm holding on, I have the most unjudgmental and sensitive and caring and nurturing wife in the world. But if I relied on her to pick me up and just her, even that wouldn't work. Because even she sometimes got the look in her face like, eh, you need a little more practice for next week. Like even she sometimes got that little look in her face. If anything is my anchor, other than the love of God itself, I'm going to be struggling. leave you all here with this verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Whoops. Leave you with this verse. This verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Bottom line is we need each other. We were not meant to function in isolation we were meant to exist in community. And the body of Christ was given to us to be that community. First step, before you look at others and say, I can't with them, is we need to look in the mirror. We agreed we look in the mirror, not in the window. right? We agree that we look at ourselves, we don't look at others. We look in the mirror and say, where am I dysfunctional relationally? What am I not right? Is it selfishness? Is it pride? Is it insecurity? Where am I not functioning right? Evaluate, analyze, be tough. Ask a friend, be very, very tough, ask your wife, okay? Be very, 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 very tough, ask my wife, okay? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> ask somebody else to evaluate you, someone who knows you closely, okay? And see what they might have to say about that issue. And then I want you to really pray about it, and I want you to really consider joining a life group. When we do life groups, it's talking about seven-week commitment, okay? We're not talking about forever and forever, ever. So even if they are annoying people, it's just seven weeks you got to spend with them. But my guess is, 
that if you take that step, step out of your comfort zone, join a life group, and participate and be active, and like I said, is, is be investing and be willing to learn and all those things that we talked about, my, ex- my guess is that by the end of those seven weeks, you will have discovered a new level of depth in your relationships with one another. I'm not saying you're going to be best friends with everybody in the whole wide world. And I'm not saying it's going to be lifelong, but I'm saying you've taken a step in this direction. You'll find out more about life groups, like I said, this coming week. But just I want you to be praying about it for now. And like I said, those who are willing to really take a step and open their hearts and their homes and their lives to host a group, all right, make sure you go back to that back table and uh, we got something special for you, okay? Let's stand up and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you that you didn't create us in this world alone. And you don't desire for us to be lonely and isolated from one another. You know what fills our hearts with joy, and you know how we can be fulfilled. We thank you that you gave us this body. I thank you for every single person that's here that you brought to this body. And I pray that you'd help each person, each person to like find where they fit and to find their niche and to find that sense of community in this body. Help us to be a church that really practices all the things that we talk about and fulfills this core value of authentic community. And let our community not just to be surface level and, and superficial, let it to be real, and let it to be something that's pleasing to you. Let everyone to know we are your children and your disciples by the love that we show for one another and the depth in our relationship that we have with one another. Bless each and every single person here and help us to overcome whatever relationship buster we might be struggling with, whether insecurity and fear, whether pride or selfishness, whatever it may be. We ask this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just a quick uh, note. I want to let you guys know about a scheduling change. Not next week, the week after, September 29th. As I've announced before, we'll have a visit from uh, His Grace Bishop David. So we will not be having the well that Sunday. December 29th, we'll have the liturgy, and we'll have some extra stuff during the liturgy. So there'll be no well on Sunday, September 29th in two weeks. Okay? See you all next week. Have a great week.